0: Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse, and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Har, and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast, where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of Dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune in to the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast.
1: Yeah Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go clicking a poll, Twitter with gold, play run fold, so Jake on the table and ape on the play, so, Peter no more, it's a are analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that Close. Picking their brains, got their in lanes, but I like that yeah. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats nice. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, dick out that eye, I like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road Go click in a poll, Twitter is gold, play, run, fold, so Jake on the tape, and Ape on the play so he'd the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play, run, fold, so. Jake
0: on the and play's go. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. I write for DLF and this is in fact DLF Family Podcast. I'm usually joined by my co-host Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF on Twitter who also writes for DLF. But he still remains unavailable because of unavoidable life situations. So hopefully we can get him back before or slightly into the 2019 season. But for now I'm still holding it down by myself. Speaking of whoever's listening and in the vein of the fact that I love to share data and information, the statistics, I recently um, included a stat tracker for our podcast because I was just trying to get an idea um, of who's listening and how many times um, because someone asked. Frankly, that's normally what leads to most of my stat research. So I downloaded something called um, Blueberry. I don't know why it doesn't have an E in the word berry, but it doesn't. Um, And it's been tracking since... uh, uh the 28th of last month and um, since then we've had 418 downloads 307 of them so far have been on the very last episode which i got a lot of feedback on and that's creating a lot of pressure for this one um i have to say but um really appreciate all the downloads it's really interesting to get some numbers on it. So I just thought I'd share that to start with. And while I'm doing behind the scenes baseball, I thought I'd mention a few other podcasts. This is a season to try out a few new podcasts, especially with uh, everyone who's not a degenerate slowly coming back to the sport of fantasy football. So um, one is by Tyler Gee from the F3 pod. He's released his own solo podcast. It's really interesting podcast only 15 minutes long an episode, normally dealing with one player or one issue at a time. So his podcast is called Vitals fantasy football information. It's really interesting, like I say, it's a very short podcast, it's stuck full of a lot of information about one issue or one player, and I'm finding it really interesting personally. It's just got a few episodes in right now, so it's a good time to get on board right at the start of something. And the other one is by our very own ZFF Spaceman, who's been a long-time supporter of me and this podcast and everything else fantasy-related, to be honest. He's just released a podcast with a friend of his called A Tale of Two Rivals. It's only got one episode out right now, but 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 it was a really fun episode to listen to. They have really good dynamic. And I like the fact they're trying to talk through their differences. It's, It's kind of an argument style podcast like the Dynasty Crossroads and I think that's one of the best ways of receiving information to decide which side you agree with more or less and to make up your own mind, rather than being presented with one idea as the absolute truth. So I really enjoyed it and I thought you guys might as well, so I thought I'd slip that name out there. So fantasy football season is definitely getting underway here, we're starting to get excited about DFS, um, salaries being released and everything else, and a lot of podcasts are doing Things to pay attention to, things not to pay attention to in terms of our season news. Since that generally fits with the type of thing I'm normally talking about, I don't think I'm going to do an episode just on the things I listen to and the things I don't. I think I want to continue to just try and break it down by one issue, or one player at a time, as we do here at the Crossroads Last episode, like I say, I got a lot of feedback on. People really seem to like the Mything targets myth episode, um, and another conversation came up on Twitter that's similar. That I find my it's a conversation I find myself having every off season. Um, normally about this time of year as training camp gets underway. Um, I hope they can forgive me for the episode title, because I certainly don't... The people I was talking to on Twitter don't fit the archetype of the pass pro, pro bro, but there is one, and I kind of wanted to bleed the off-season news narrative in to this particular myth that gets thrown around a lot, um, with training camp and early practices, and us getting the first kind of information of how rookies are fitting on their NFL team. So last week, I guess appeared on one of the FS statistics podcast breaking down off-season news and essentially trying to show why one news blurb or another isn't overly helpful that's the idea of the whole series and so like most of the things i do it runs over long but it was a lot of fun but on it i found myself suddenly arguing in favor of darius guys and i didn't quite know where it came from i've never been a particularly big darius guys fan he didn't have a lot of receiving work in college and that's one of the few things with running backs that actually shows some trend from college to the NFL. He's obviously a very good runner. That's why he was so highly praised before going to the draft. I didn't like that he fell in the draft. So I've never been the highest guy on Darius Geis, but I found myself making an argument for him to two of the people that I thought would have typically been higher on Geis or someone like Geis and myself. Um, and that kind of bleeds into my subject today and the overall context of the past Pro Bro argument at this time of year specifically. Like, I've never been high on Geist, but I don't understand or didn't understand why suddenly... I found myself on the pro Geist at his price Um, and so I was digging into the difference between ADP and cost and value and how it actually works in leagues you know ADP is only able to display so much and so what I did is I actually found some Fantasy Pros ADP from May and I was comparing it to Fantasy Pros ADP right now and one of the things I noticed is that Karrion Johnson is another example that I find myself just trying to persuade people to be lower on despite the fact that his position rank I mean right now his position rank is um, it's gone up three spots and it's gone up from like uh, running back 21 to running back 18 and that seems like a fair cost to me running back 18 I can understand how he potentially has top 12 upside so why have I spent so long in all our season trying to enforce my general ideas my rules my process that I found that's worked with running backs why have I highlighted him as someone that I need to make sure I separate myself out from the field or at least point it out every time I'm on a podcast like I'm lower on Johnson um, and there's lots of reasons that go into my valuation but like like I say even at running back 18 I get it I, I think that sounds like a fair price And so I was comparing his positional ADP according to some expert ranks like Fantasy Pros for Redraft, and I was digging into it a few different ways, and I started to look at um, Fantasy Football Calculator's ADP, which is much more public data, it's um, freely available, you can go look and see all the ADP data I'm staring at as well, and if you click on an individual player, it gives you some neat little graphs of how their ADPs changed recently over time, and that's where it kind of clicked for me, like I almost forget every season. I was looking at his average draft cost and there's this huge spike from July, around about the time we were mostly starting and continuing to have the Carry On Johnson quote-unquote argument, um, to right now, he's gone up a full round it's a really steep climb, you have to kind of look at the graph to understand how just that one round is a really steep climb climb. And when I was looking at the players being drafted around to him, even though his positional rank has remained stable, I think we forget every year that the, those with what I term hype, Twitter hype, social media hype, players that we talk about a lot, and you're on them or you're off them, they often see this steep climb, and one round doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a hell of a lot of value from the fourth to the third. You're moving away from, you know, uh, take your safe picks in the top three to take your safe picks only in the top two rounds and then take a flyer on a guy who might have top 12 upside. So in other words, despite the fact his positional rank isn't climbing in expert rankings, or even really in overall ADP, according to Fantasy Football Calculator, where you have to take him, his actual car in most drafts is a lot steeper now than it was a month ago and we've only just started to see the minnows step into the pool with the sharks and I consider myself one of those minnows which is why I started digging into data and trying to find rules that would protect me from it and this is one this is why he among others flagged for me as someone that I wanted to separate myself from on the field it's not that I don't agree much with any of the arguments I don't think there's a lot to separate out Kerry and Johnson from Mur. to be honest with you but Mur can be great in a successful offense. And like I said in this podcast before, if you like a player that's at running back, you really have to try and find something to be positive for his opportunity or his overall talent level, which is really tricky. At running back, to be very clear, it's hard to separate out players in terms of overall talent. And like I was talking with missed targets last year, I think the nuance of the argument for smart people in the offseason gets lost when we all swim like the little minnows we are into the big pool with all the sharks. And that nuance crushes us because we take the logical assumptions from the things that smart people have been researching, watching tape, grinding numbers, and telling us, and then we try and apply it to our dress, and we start asking questions like, "Really, what's the difference between Kerry and Johnson and Dalvin Cook? He's got that top twelve upside too, and no one's pushing him above Dalvin Cook. But when you look at his overall ADP in public leagues and fantasy football calculator." It's a lot closer than that running back 18 in consensus expert rankings leads you to believe. And he's not over running back 15 in fantasy football calculator data either. It's just that the cost that we think about when we're talking early in the offseason doesn't reflect actual cost in dress when the season starts. So the running back 18 is a top three pick, not a top four, not a top five pick. The value of Karrion Johnson is still there but you definitely have to pay for his expectation at this point which means a lot of it gets sucked up and there's a lot more risk in it now I'm not arguing for anyone to get off Karen Johnson like I say I understand the argument but the reason I was trying to separate out myself out this offseason is because I think paying for his expectation when you're really not even sure if he can hit his upside bleeds into him just being drafted where you want to take top 12 wide receivers that are much more likely to hit their median or expectation of points. And you start to find yourself asking that question. I don't want to miss out on this player. I know he could be good. So, okay, just behind Delvin Cook, fine. Right now he's, like I say, right now he's not quite there. But the difference between him and that level of player is now basically five to six picks, not rounds. Not a whole round, not 12, not 24 picks. You're now taking in 5 to 6 picks below that level of upside player with a lot higher median expectat- expectation of points. Sometimes I think we take numbers as so concrete when really they're meant to give you a broad idea. We take concrete numbers for good players and try to apply them for players that were less sure are good. And that's not always how they work. Um, I'm going to show you a little bit more of that like I tried to do with um, Missing Targets last episode but with pass pro arguments. Um, And there's a big difference between making a pass pro argument and why it might be relevant for rookie players or players we haven't seen do a lot on an NFL field yet versus pass pro bro arguments versus the bro arguments of the minnows ending up in the pool with the sharks. So let me try and draw all this together. If you haven't already hung up on me, it all started with a tweet. By Paulie Sleepers, he's in, he's, actually I met him through SFB9, because there's a Scott Fishball 9s doing its job and connecting people in the industry and outside the industry and people who just are just having fun like me with each other, and Paulie's in my league, and like I said, I really respect everyone that's in my division, honestly all of them did a really top-notch job and made it difficult, like extremely difficult to draft with them, in a good way in a challenging, fun way so I respect Paulie, he's very good at what he does, he's much more, I would say if I was to guess, tape the numbers orientated although he knows numbers and he's aware of them and he knows what they mean so the tweet was, pass blocking is key for young running backs, and often under evaluated and overlooked if Darwin can pass block it is very likely he carves out at least a small role to begin with, and he's talking about Chiefs RB Darwin Thompson, who I actually have some interest in. But it's my problem with this tweet and what we ended up getting into a long, heated, not heated, friendly, it was a really enjoyable conversation. I'll put the link in the description if you want to check it out. Really had a lot of fun and lots of other people got involved in it as well, but it wasn't about, my problem wasn't about Jarwin Thompson. Like I say, I can see some positive things on his profile and that depth chart has a lot of upside, so I get it. But it was this idea that pass pro, pass blocking is evaluated and uh, under-evaluated and overlooked. It might be under-evaluated actually for one thing that I'm going to say, but I think it's actually way too looked at. I don't think it's overlooked. I think smart comments like Paulie's making about Darwin Thompson here get misapplied in the same way missing targets do, like I was talking about last episode, to other situations where pass-blocking arguments is all you really have, but you really want to rely on it because it works for other players, and you've heard someone smart like Paulie say it before. So in fact, I think it's one of the things that can mislead us. And what I was trying to tell him, and I'm not sure at points if I really got my point across. So I actually studied this in depth a lot a couple of years ago when Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams were being put up against each other. I don't want to talk about that situation specifically but I recreated the research quickly. I only used two years of PFF data, their pass blocking grades. I actually did a much bigger study before. I just couldn't find it so I recreated it. You don't care much about R squared numbers but essentially all they mean is how well two numbers are connected or how well one explains the other. So what I did is I compared pass blocking grades and for 2017 and 2016 2. The percentage of snaps, or the number of snaps, Um, in the receiving game that a running back actually was on the field for and also pass blocking snaps so PFF breaks it down both ways and I thought that would be a little bit more interesting than just touches because this is mostly an argument that you get on the field because you're good at pass blocking. Now the long and short of it is that the two numbers are entirely unrelated and for the whole sample for 2016 and 17 to receiving snaps pass blocking grade um, correlated about 0.9% and for some context 27% is the R-squared for draft round to PPR points in your first three seasons. And just think of all the all the top uh, three round um, wide receivers who have completely missed 27%. That's actually really good um, in terms of predictiveness into the NFL. So 0.9 is literally nothing. For pass blocking stats, it's a little higher, but it's 1.4%. It's not even enough to say that being good at pass blocking will put you on the field at all more than someone else who is worse at you than pass blocking. Um, but that wasn't really the argument Paulie was making, so I broke it down a few other ways. I looked at rookies during both of those years, and again, I did this in the bigger sample, and the numbers looked very similar. So I didn't feel like I had to drag it back even further. But for rookies in those two years, uh, it correlated 0% to receiving snaps. Literally 0%. It was actually 0.004 or so, but, you know, that rounds up within three decimal points to literally 0%. And for pass-blocking steps, it's actually a little higher, so 4.9%. So you could say, aha, there's an argument that they're on the field more in pass-blocking situations. But again, remember that 27% number. That's terrible, and it's sometimes the best we got. 4.9% is literally nothing. It it means nothing. But again, that wasn't really the argument Paulie was making. He was talking about running backs deeper down the depth chart who are good at one particular skill that are getting off season news so I, I broke it down one more way I looked at players drafted outside the first three rounds because it makes sense right that Leonard Fournette despite being not a great pass catcher or not used much in the pass cas- in the passing game or the receiving game for that matter and um, he's still going to be on the field a lot more in passing and pass block situations than some guy drafted in the fourth round that's a little bit of an uneven comparison so So to try and be a little bit more fair here, I just, like I said, I I compared players drafted outside of round three and the numbers did jump up a little bit. They jumped to 44.5% for receiving snaps and 23.3% for pass blocking snaps. So there is a little bit of correlation there, right? There's just enough to make you believe that, yes, you might get a few extra touches if you're exceptionally good at pass blocking compared to being exceptionally bad. But... Again, when you run through this data in a wider sample, when you look situation by situation, I can honestly say using pass-blocking grade from PFF leads me to believe that pass-blocking skill tells us as fantasy players very little about who we would like to own. Like it's not going to get you a lot of touches if they're better at pass-block. However, Paulie's making a more nuanced argument. The the, the answer here is you might get on the field more which is a logical argument, but it misses a step. If you're good at pass blocking and not good at running and not good at receiving above average, then the balance goes to the player who's slightly worse at pass blocking, but is effective when they need to run or pass. So in more uncertain situations, players are going to get on the field who will maybe have a worse pass blocking grade, but they are also a threat in one or two other areas of the game as well. You'd rather play... Dion Lewis, despite having no draft capital, then running back X, who's going to protect the quarterback a little bit better. And you could also make an argument, and Paul and someone else was trying to make this argument, it was actually a Grig which is a really cool Twitter app, by the way, that PFF grades weren't good enough. But these are the numbers, and these are the best numbers in the business, for how to judge how well a player is pass blocking. So I get that it might be the worst data, but unless we have something to believe in to show that it matters then all we're doing is believing in the story and that's fine but we can't say it's fact. We can't say it definitely matters for young running backs. We can say we think, we hope, we maybe. Um, In which case, you know, I don't care. That's fine. Have faith in whatever you want, but I'm looking for something that actually might give me an edge. So, um, the examples I was looking at, like, there's plenty of examples of good players being low-drafted, having lots of receiving snaps because they just turned out to be good. Like, Kareem Hunt was drafted in the third round, got a terrible pass-blocking grade, by the way, but obviously was used a ton in his rookie year, so it didn't matter. So, this situation that first drew me into this, and the one that I broke down again for this episode, was looking at Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Now, the other thing to note about this, if you look over a big enough sample, is no one comes into the NFL good enough at pass blocking. Like, no one. They all get better. These numbers are not sticky in terms of pass blocking grade. You get better, you get worse as your career gets on, but as a skill set, this is not something like uh, other NFL skills that you can't get better at, that stays bad. Most players have to advance. So even at best, I think pass blocking might give you, you know, a couple of extra touches as a rookie running back. But if you're not effective in running and rushing, then you're not going to get those touches. And you're going to be outdone by the better player who eventually improves his pass blocking skill, right? Um, And I think that's what happened with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Well, a lot of things happened with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, but Aaron Jamal Williams actually had the best if not the second best score of rookies through these two years in pass block so that wasn't just fiction in the offseason Jamal Williams was definitely a better pass blocking. The film grinders, the film watchers, the ob- observations were entirely correct. And the same thing shows through with Aaron Jones. He got one of the worst grades as a rookie in these two years but when they were both on the field they both got touches because one or the other was injured and that's the whole point. It's really about how good they are at rushing and receiving the ball which earns them targets. So that's the overall theory. It's a little tricky, w- tricky with running backs to prove it but I re- I remain convinced it's true. It worked for Jamal Williams over Aaron Jones but the fact that Aaron Jones has a better skill set now puts him over very Like Jamal Williams is mostly forgotten even by the people who made the pass pro bro arguments. And that's where the argument that Paulie was making stops being a decent, reasoned, intelligent argument that he was making on Twitter and gets misappropriated to other running backs. You start looking at players like, for example, Jordan Howard, and pointing out that he has really good pass-blocking skills. He ranked just about the same as Jamal Williams, and yet rarely ever got a target. Now, Leonard Fournette was on the field a lot, because of his draft capital, but he got like 15 targets in his rookie year, despite and had a 58.2, um, which is below average pass blocking grade through these two seasons. Going through pass blocking grade, or how overall a play, good a player is at blocking uh, during a passing situation, is mostly going to mislead you, then, then help you predict who's getting touches. Even if it provides a little signal for who's going to get on the field drafted outside the first three rounds, the signal for the running back that you want in that backfield is outside of it. And so it doesn't lead to touches. I think ability leads to touches, both in the running and re- receiving game. might lead to snaps a little bit, but it does not correlate to touches very well at all. Now, it's fi- like I say, it's fine to question the, the PFF grades here, but this this is the only, and it's a really good measure of how well they're actually Perform on the field at pass blocking um, according to PFF. And a special thanks to uh, Pirate Life, by the way, who actually gives me all the PFF data that I have. Really appreciate him. Definitely follow him on Twitter. He's a fun uh, person to have a conversation about this stuff as well. I, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of him. I'm a big fan of anyone that gives me data, right? So I think this is something that the nuance of the argument that we make in the off season, like Paulie's making for a running back who's had a 20-catch season and a 1,000-yard rushing season in his age 21 seat, age 21 college career, and that's Darwin Thompson. Uh, sorry, Darwin Williams. Um, gets lost because we try to misapply it elsewhere. And you start to ask yourself questions. Like, will they get involved in the receiving game because they're good at pass blocking? Will they get more touches over someone who's a better receiver because they'll be on the field more because they're good at pass blocking? Those things don't help. And this is a moment where I realized that's why I was trying to make an argument for Darius Geis. Darius Geis, a positional ADP, has remained almost as stable as Karian Johnson's. But unlike Karian Johnson, he has not shot up draft rounds. So he's the same positional rank according to consensus expert ranks, and yet he's cost the same right now as he did a month ago in actual drafts. Does he have less chance of hitting the upside? Yes, but the positional ranks always reflected that, because I don't think he's as much as a pass catcher, because he's had less catches in the NFL. He's had none in the NFL, and had none in college either. And again, I don't want to, I think you know the arguments for either, or you can hear about them on every other podcast, but I think the point here is Darius guys costs what we put him at this off scene. No pass pro bro Type argument Inflated his overall cut So He's being drafted at a reasonable price based on the balance between his expectation and his potential upside. Kerry and Johnson were starting to ask the question, well, I just want to take him around earlier just to make sure I get him because I'm so so sure of this upside. And again, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be sure of that, but recognize you have to now pay that extra round. You need that expectation, not just that upside for Kerry and Johnson at this point. And we're going to get eaten if we don't, remember the downsides or the fact that we need expectations or their expected points to be where they're drafted at not their upside occasionally you have to reach for upside but it has to be more than just pass pro bro because that doesn't work by itself it has to be more than the teams really talk them up because that doesn't work by itself you need some evidence that they've done it before you need some number or some story that has worked consistently before to give you that edge, at least to make you reach. And that's what I mean when I say don't reach on a player just based on height. It's not that pass pro is a bad argument or a bad stat or a bad context stat, but when we get into this part of the off season, positive news without understanding the nuance of what someone like Paulie and a Gregor were trying to say is going to put us on the wrong player. So by itself, pass pro cannot tell you about touches. You need, you need to be able to believe that when they get touches, they're going to impress. And in running back world, that also means team volume, which relies on a lot more than the skill they displayed in college. But anyway, I, I think I've run over long again, so I'm going to, you know, shut up, get out of here. Over the next few episodes, I, I'm hoping to actually concentrate on more player-specific, actionable information, right? Um, which is a fancy way of saying I want to make lists of the running backs and tight ends and wide receivers that I'm actually really excited to maybe reach on instead of complaining about other people reaching on players for reasons that I wouldn't reach on them. I think that might be, you know, a little more positive instead of just always being in the wet blanket all the time. So thanks for checking out The Crossroads. Hope you enjoy. it. Hope you found something informative, if not, you know, Wildly entertaining, but hopefully also wildly entertaining, you know. Check out those two podcasts I mentioned. Also check out the Dynasty Dummies, because it's not a Crossroads episode if we don't talk about how great the Dynasty Dummies episode are at least once. Anyone confused that I'm using a different theme song, we have two. One's by Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies. one but One's by the FF Man Bun, Gabe Gearing himself, from the Open Bar podcast. And I kind of switch it up, which comes first and which comes last. So I'm sending you out on our joint first favorite theme song with Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies. Thanks again, guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. You're at the Dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. The Dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape.
1: Thing. The Dynasty Crossroad where numbers are the key
0: There may not be consensus, but we'll give you everything